Oh my, hide my. Welcome to the Maxim Institute podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm the communications manager at Maxim Institute. This is our weekly short form podcast. These podcasts are released in tandem with our weekly column and are a chance for you to hear in depth from the column's author about some of the thinking that went into producing their final piece. Today we talk to researcher Natasha Borlas about her recent column. Natasha, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. We are talking about your latest column for Maxim, why the word genocide shouldn't be overused. And you start with a a wonderful, well, maybe not a wonderful, but a very confronting quote from George Orwell talking about uh, defenseless villages are bombarded from the air, the inhabitants driven out into the countryside, the cattle machine gunned, the huts set on fire with incendiary bullets. This is called pacification. Um, and I wondered if we could talk a little. It's important to read that in context. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is called pacification. This is from his essay, Politics in the English Language. And he talks about essentially how communication and the way that we frame things actually can affect the way that we perceive events. And uh, I guess he's preempting propaganda and PR departments all over the world, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, at the time that he's writing this, he's responding to propaganda and PR departments, particularly in academia, Mm. where you have these university professors who are talking about these situations, particularly in socialist countries, Mm. uh, where whole communities being pacified. But what they actually mean by that is that they're being, you know, wiped out, slaughtered, slaughtered, or moved to Siberia. (laughs) (laughs) To the Gulag archipelago. Yeah. Um, Because I think. Any one of us would say, you know, machine gunning cows, like killing cattle is not pacification. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, this is where <laughs> definition is a funny thing. Yeah. Well, and it, it, I think it points to kind of the sanitization of language or the way that we want to use language to sanitize um, events and um, the way that we use language to, I guess, cloud over or cover over um, things or to obfuscate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Or to, to shift responsibility. Even the 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 way that we uh, grammatically structure our sentences so mm. that these are things that are happening but not necessarily being conducted by people. Uh, so yes. the community was obliterated yes. or was undergoing pacification yes. this kind of clinical language detachment that detaches it from yeah. a man went into the village with a gun and shot, and shot a whole bunch of people yeah because we asked him to yeah which is actually what was going on yeah um and there are some examples uh even from the modern day how about how our politicians use language and tactics i guess to obfuscate and right. to <laughs> to maybe talk about things that they've done in the past or said in the past to try and Take it, detach themselves from it in a way. Yeah, well, this is uh, something that came up recently in Question Time. I don't mm. know if you've been watching, but um, there's been some interesting moments where politicians are being called out on things that they've said prior to the election mm. when they were a spokesperson for a particular platform. Mm. Uh, 
And now they're no longer holding to that for whatever reason, whether it's because they are better informed on the issue at hand and now they no longer hold that position or whether it's no longer politically expedient to Mm -hmm. hold that position. Uh, But they are being required, probably not required, but finding it better to talk about themselves in that role in the third person than to say, hey, actually I was wrong. Yeah. Or I can no longer fulfil that even though I said I would. Or I can't agree with that now that I have new facts to light or... Or now that I have new friends that I need to yeah. appease. And so, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's still very much in vogue. Yeah, that's a lot of verbal gymnastics to be able to talk about yourself in the past in the third person. Um, I, I, I haven't seen that, uh, so I don't have any really frame of reference about how I would go about even doing that. But... Um, <laughs> That's, yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, one of the other things you bring up is the overuse of terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's in the title there, What the, the word genocide shouldn't be overused. We've seen a lot of terms being used and probably overused in the last, particularly three or four years. In crisis. crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the big one, <laughs> That we've one, been right? going through. The- yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, I think we did a column earlier last year about the crisis crisis and how there's this idea that everything's a crisis, but it devalues the language. Unprecedented is another one. Yeah. Um, and you make the same point um, that to overuse a word is to kind of rob it of its, of its meaning. Absolutely. Or just wear out the audience. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we know about compassion fatigue. Mm. You're seeing the same images over and over again of starving children actually leads us to shut ourselves off emotionally from that. And I think we, so we do kind the same of think with language. The problem is too big. Too um, big. It, what difference am I going to make? Yeah. Uh, is another problem in the world that I have to now worry about? Yes, until we're reminded that the previous problem that we've forgotten about is now apocalyptic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> An apocalyptic, <laughs> unprecedented crisis. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but that, to, to that point as well, it, it means that we have to keep kind of blowing up the balloon of urgency and to try and shock people into... Doing something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a real problem. And mm. one has to ask oneself, once you are past apocalyptic, unprecedented crisis... Yeah. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> uh, genocide might be yeah. the next like the, step. Like the top level yeah. that we get to. So how can we, uh, because this is this is starting to be overused. You make the point in uh, that it was used in regards to the repeal of a, a law on cigarettes. Mm-hmm. A ban on cigarettes was repealed and it was referred to as a genocide. Um, how can we kind of pass that or push back against that in in today as as people who are trying to engage with this process? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important question. I think in the instance that I was drawing out in the article, I was actually saying the word genocide had both been applied to the cigarette ban mm. and what's going on in the Gaza Strip at the moment. Yes. Uh, as if somehow those two situations could be equated to each other. Yes. And they simply can't. No. The word genocide was adopted in the first place because there was something that happened in the Second World War there was many, many atrocities that took place in the Second yeah. World War. It was awful. The loss of life was horrendous. Yeah. But there was a particular thing going on within that situation that was worse than everything else. And the treatment of the Jewish people mm. during the Second World War was so horrific 
that it demeaned what it is to be human, mm. that humans could even think to do that. Mm. And so the word genocide was was used to put it in a special category. Mm. And what's happening is that those categories, that category is being lost, mm. but that situation is still occurring. Yes. In many countries around the world, yes. genocides are still occurring. Mm. And if we don't have a special word for them, then they can just get lost in these other conversations that we're having about awful and sad things that are going on. Yes. And I think what we have to do as readers is whenever we're, we're reading something, to look at the language being used and ask ourselves, is this politically charged terminology? Mm. Are people trying to shock us or mm. capture our attention or manipulate our feelings mm. by using words out of the, their context? And if so, what words would more appropriately express mm. this particular situation? Because mm. I guess you have to ask the question if they truly believe that it is a genocide to repeal that law. Do something. Yeah, why are they not bigger, doing something? Much bigger. Yeah. If, you, if you genuinely think that the yeah. legislation around cigarette bans is happening or being repealed such that a particular people group will be wiped out. Yeah, off the face of the earth, which is what a genocide is, what a genocide is, right? is. Yeah. Do something more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, then, it's really serious. Yeah, yeah. And, and act on that. Mm. If you don't, don't use that word. Choose a different word. Choose yeah. a different word. And if we, the public, hear someone using that word and we think it's inappropriate, then we can call them out on that because mm. language belongs to us collectively mm. Mm. and and we can we can tell people, look, I'm just not I'm not going to listen to you yeah. when you use language like that because it's not appropriate to the context and it's not helpful mm. for us to actually talk about this situation. Yeah. Great. Well, Natasha, thanks for being with us. Lots of good, deep thoughts. Thank you. Why the word genocide shouldn't be overused. Defenceless villages are bombarded from the air, the inhabitants driven out into the countryside, the cattle machine gunned, the huts set on fire with incendiary bullets. This is called pacification. The confronting imagery of this statement was used by George Orwell in his 1946 essay, Politics and the English Language. Orwell was deeply concerned by the way that politicians and academics had begun to use scientific and technical jargon to sanitise the brutal and justify the absurd. I do not expect that many people today would disagree with me that the unsettling trend that Orwell identified in 1946 is firmly established in our own time. The waters of thoughtful debate are contaminated with meaningless and ambiguous rhetoric, and our political discourse is frequently washed up on the barren shores of evasive contradictions. I think the issues for our sitting politicians are that they often do not believe deeply in their previously held positions, that they are unsure of their present position, and that they are unable to predict where they will be required to stand in the future. As Orwell noted, the great enemy of clear language is insincerity. The process by which we reached our current state was outlined comprehensively in Orwell's essay noted above. His insight that thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought, shows how this malady has been exacerbated over time. And now I think that it is beginning to exhibit new symptoms. In 1994, when the Tutsi of Rwanda were systematically and brutally murdered by their fellow countrymen, at an average of 5,000 to 8,000 people per day for 100 days, with a total death toll of somewhere between 500,000 and 800,000. The United States administration dithered, 
over the use of the word genocide. Several weeks into the slaughter, when it was used by President Clinton in a press conference, the addition of one word, acts of genocide, rather than genocide as such, was used to excuse the international community from intervening. In this analysis of events, discrete acts of genocide do not necessarily amount to genocide per se, and as such, the International Convention did not apply. The political acrobatics necessary to render this equivocation is mind-boggling. Today, the Rwandan massacre is still considered the perfect case study for the UN definition of genocide, acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial or religious group as such. Perhaps in reaction to this failure to use the term, since then the use of the word genocide has skyrocketed. Yet its overuse may do as much to neuter our political response to actual genocides. This word has been brandished in several politically charged debates of late, from the reversal of cigarette bans to the conflict in Gaza. Does the same word really describe both of these situations? Is there nothing that distinguishes them from the horrors of Rwanda? Genocide is an extremely powerful term. We risk neutralising it if we redefine it to mean a situation which I don't like. Thanks for listening to the Maxim Institute podcast. If you'd like to hear more from us and keep up with the rest of our research and analysis of politics and policy in New Zealand, you can sign up on the homepage of our website to get our monthly forum email and invitations to future Maxim Institute events. You can search and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the team at Maxim, Mate wa, goodbye for now. <laughs>